into the coronavirus pandemic. And it has been a long, long week with no sports. What's up, everybody? I'm Matt. He's Rich. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're consuming vitamin C and maybe, maybe considering some malaria medication. I don't know. Here's what I've learned, though, Rich. In this last eight days since we uh, did our most recent podcast, I've learned that I believe there are three different camps when it comes to the coronavirus. There's the category one or the first camp of people that is all about the pandemonium, the panic and the, the scare tactics. And then there's that group of people that are cautiously optimistic. They're not taking any chances but they're not going over the top. They're not buying all the toilet paper, if you if you understand what I'm saying. But they're rationing. They're taking care of themselves. They're washing their hands. They're avoiding contact with people. And then there are the third category or the third camp of people. It's just like whatever, you know. I don't, you know, what it will be, what will be. It's not affecting my life. It's not changing me. Now, I don't know which camp you're in. I think I'm in number two. But. I do get the feeling that number one, they don't like number two or number three at all. That's the way I get this, man. That's the way, that's the way it comes across to me. And like I said last week, whatever camp you want to be in, what if you want to freak out and panic, then freak out and panic. If you want to chill and just chill, if you want to be cautiously, cautiously optimistic, be cautiously optimistic. Which camp do you think you're in, Rich? It's a good question. Um, definitely not in panic mode. Definitely not one of the people who has begun to hoard different products in mass quantities in hopes of potentially turning a buck down the road or even just having it for myself. Quick little story for you is I went out to the grocery store on Thursday. May have been a bad choice. I missed the rush. There was nothing on the shelves at this point in time. Um, and so I said, you know, I'm only getting what I need for the next two weeks. I'm not buying a large quantity of things. I bought, I spent $60 just so you know where I stand. Okay. So for the next two weeks, I spent $60 on groceries, um, largely because I had to put things back, not by choice, not because I wanted to. But because I didn't realize there was a rule we now had to follow here in Oklahoma City that says if you buy a loaf of bread, you cannot buy hot dog buns. Or if you buy hot dog buns, you cannot buy a loaf of bread. I, I'm in category two. Is that a rule in the yeah. city or is that just a store rule? That's a store rule. Okay, so that's not like a city ordinance. The city, the city right, hasn't but, but, but come. But here's the thing is all, all the major suppliers of groceries are beginning to limit products. They're, they're putting a limitation one of this, one of that. Well, I get that because the category one bought all the toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, you got to limit products because of category one. Right. Now here's, here, and again, we're, we're, we don't need to spend our podcast time talking about this, but I, I do feel like a PSA, public service announcement is in store here. To take this virus seriously. And to panic over the virus, they don't have to be the same thing. In fact, they shouldn't be the same thing. If you're panicking, that's okay. Like I said, if you want to panic, panic. 
But if you're not panic, it doesn't mean you're not taking it seriously. But we see the result of the panic, and the panic is the reason why we can't buy toilet paper. There's, if we were to draw a graph really quickly, and then I'll drop this. If we were to draw a graph, it would be a line of preparedness and panic. And as we get closer to the unprepared line, the panic, it, it skyrockets. Those are the people who see the rush, see the immediate need for certain things, and then have bought in extreme quantities. But see, you're too young to remember Y2K. Not at all. No, you're too young. Not at all. How much How much food was stored in basements in Y2K? People were buying generators. It wasn't just toilet paper. They were buying generators. Yeah, they were I, buying I gasoline. I'm just saying. I'm just saying as a as a responsible adult, which you are now. Oh, thanks. You you don't have that recollection of Y2K as from a responsible adult perspective. You have it from a high school kid's perspective. So, but I'm just saying, think about all the waste, all the things that were purchased prior to Y2K. And I mean, it's a good thing canned goods have a long shelf life. Because people were eating those rations for years after Y2K. Now, this is a bigger deal than Y2K because this is something that has actually happened. People are getting sick, and unfortunately, people are dying. But it still doesn't mean we have to panic. Take it seriously, but don't panic. That's that's all. That's that's the end of my public service announcement. <laughs> hey, and I'm glad and I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you're doing well. Likewise, um, in, in your family. Yeah, uh, yeah. As well, I know. And I will. I will say this. I, I spent the day. We're we're you know, we're we are pushed back on our recording schedule, but I did spend the day checking in on my mother-in-law, who's um, almost eighty years old, and so I don't want her going out to the grocery store to get in things. And my father, who's in his in his mid seventies, so I, I went and checked on the parents today. I said, "Hey, what do you guys need?" So I went to the stores for them, mm-hmm. got out, and you know, it's everybody's healthy so far, and that, that's what we want. That, that's being a good neighbor. And that's what I'm hoping in retrospect we've gained when we come out on the other side of this. Because we will come out on the other side. We we will survive. And hopefully we'll be better for it. I thought you were going to start singing for a second. I just thought. Okay, let's talk Oklahoma. Oklahoma football. Trey Sermon out the door. Thoughts? I was initially shocked. Surprised. And and a large portion of that shock, the awe factor, for me comes from a tweet previously. We know that Trey Sermon suffered a season-ending injury. We knew that he was pushed to the sideline. But a lot of people were contemplating whether he was ultimately going to opt for the NFL. He's a guy that there's a lot of film on already that he doesn't need to prove himself by finishing out what would have been his junior season at the University of Oklahoma. What we do know, like I said, is that a tweet was sent out that says, this isn't the last time or the last you'll see of me. Something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it gave me this impression that Trey Sermon was committed to the University of Oklahoma, that he was committed to coming back for a season instead of opting for the NFL. The twist of the whole plot came very recently with Trey Sermon's name appearing in the transfer portal. And like I said, initially it was it was shock and awe. But one thing we do have to account for when it comes to the University of Oklahoma, and when it specifically comes to running backs, Oklahoma has not had a shortage of talent at that position in years and years and years. 
I don't know if Trey Sermon was looking for an opportunity where he said, I want to be the number one guy. Because what we know is Kennedy Brooks is most likely going to hold that role in this future season. Trey Sermon looking to shoulder a little bit more of the burden, shoulder a little bit more of the responsibility, I think began to explore his opportunities. And all of a sudden something opened up at Ohio State. I don't, like I said, don't know what the communication was there, but my first inclination is to say he wanted to be the the guy, and that wasn't going to happen at Oklahoma. Well, I 100% agree with that statement. I, I think you know, and I said I've said this for a long time, and I, I said it when it and when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to transferring, you want to find the shortest line to the field, right? And mm-hmm. Trey Sermon was going to be on the field for Oklahoma. There's right. no doubt about that, but. He will be on the field for Ohio State because J.K. Dobbins is gone. There is no Kennedy right. Brooks at Ohio State. And so where he would be on the field sharing the workload with the Kennedy Brooks at, in Norman, there's no one really. And, and potentially a third running well, back. And I'm, I'm gonna, that yeah, be. we're going to get to that because there's going to be a third running back. And there, there typically is. But there's no option along those lines that we're aware of at Ohio State. And something that benefits Trey Sermon is the cancellation of spring ball for Ohio State because there's really not the opportunity for someone to emerge now that could take that spot for him that he's going to go into the summer being. I mean, as soon as he gets to Columbus, they're going to be like, hey, he's he's a, he's the a first guy on the depth chart. I think and you and I talked about this last football season. You remember the Texas game where he didn't get a single carry right. in the Texas game, and we kept talking about the the limited use of the, running backs. The diminishing role. But it wasn't just Trey Sermon. It was Kennedy Brooks as well. Right. And then, but we, what we kept saying was, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but we kept saying winning solves everything. As long as you're winning, everybody's happy. You remember we kept talking about that? Mm-hmm. Well, the last time this team took the field, they didn't win. And I think this is speculation, a little bit of hearsay, but mostly speculation I think Trey Sermon was hoping the arrival of a new running backs coach would change some of the philosophy on the way that the running backs are used. Think about how running backs are used at the University of Oklahoma and how running backs are used like at Ohio State, where it's more of a power running game at Ohio State, where you got a spread offense. Not that Oklahoma can't run with power, right? but DeMarco Murray arrives, and I don't think Trey Sermon was – was happy with his conversations with DeMarco Murray and the way that running backs are going to be used, whether that be by committee, whether that be by, I mean, Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley at the helm, Oklahoma is never going to line up and run the I formation regularly. Okay. I don't even know if they'll do it on spot duty time, but I think Trey Sermon obviously wants to get to the NFL. There's two reasons why you transfer. In my opinion, if you're a guy of the caliber of Trey Sermon, there's two reasons why you transfer. The reason number one is to get closer to a championship. Reason number two is to get closer to the NFL. And I think Trey Sermon might feel as if both of those things are more within grasp in Columbus, Ohio, than they are in Norman, Oklahoma. When you look at defense, when you look at a quarterback change, I mean, just overall in general. I, right. That's that's and, what. I, and I'm shaking my head over here, which is why I feel like I'm distracting you. By doing that, Ohio State, a great program, very 
solid in their approach to the game of football, as well as playing in, in a, a quality conference at this point in time. The points you make are valid, but the questions that surround Ohio State are the exact same questions that surround Oklahoma moving forward. Well, and that's where I was going, is that he thinks he's closer in Columbus, but the reality is he's not any, any closer in Columbus than he is in Norman, Oklahoma, particularly when you look at the track record that Lincoln Riley has established, and you look at the way this defense is rising in, you know, for what Alex Grinch going into year number two. You, we can't deny, was the defense perfect in 2019? None at all. But they were much better in 2019 than they were in 2018. And now you've got another year of planning and scheming and learning where Alex Grinch can take another step with that defense. And he's got some more of his own guys in there in 2020 than he had in 2019. I, I was going to conclude my Trey Sermon talk by saying... I don't think he's any closer in Columbus than he is in Norman. <laughs> My bad for jumping jumping the gun then. The one thing that I look at Trey Sermon in the this potential Ohio State as, as the landing spot, that's not official at this point in time. It's not official, it's, but it's going it's to be. It's highly speculated. It, no, it's, it's going to happen. All but confirmed. It's, I, I, it's not I can tell you, based off of, unless something drastically changes, mm-hmm. based off of what I know, what I've been told, because okay. I, I, I don't know, again, this is, I don't know how people take this when they, when they, um, when they hear our podcast, because this information is almost a week old at this point for where we're recording and when when you're listening. But, I mean, you can back me up on this. How far in advance did I, before this story broke, did I tell you, hey, I think Trey Sermon's leaving? A good period of time. And where did I tell you he was going to? Ohio State was the only location and that so, you mentioned. It wasn't, it wasn't a list of options that were on the board. But here's what I look at. I'm saying the marriage of Trey Sermon at Ohio State in that program, in that offense, is that he he can excel. Oh, yeah, He for can sure. do damage, and he can put himself on the map as mm. potentially the best running back in the country. We'll see if that happens, but like I said, he's got the talent. He's got the skills. He certainly has the strength. I would even venture to say, despite an injury, he has the durability to do that as well. Well, I was just going to say injury front it would be my concern because he's mm-hmm. going to a place where he wants to be the guy. And it's a more physical brand of football. But what I mean by that, they run for power where Oklahoma runs for mismatches. The Lincoln Riley finds, hey, we're going to go, you know, we're going to find a way to get you in, in is the it, gap. Isn't that every position for Lincoln Riley? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a different brand of football. Not that right. Oklahoma's not physical, but they're just going to be like, hey, we're coming at you. Try to stop us. And if there's a linebacker in the hole, well, Lincoln Riley tries to figure out is where's that linebacker not going to be. Right. We're going to put you in there, and then you do your thing. Where Ohio State's going to be like, hey, the linebacker's going to be there. He's going to meet you. you got to run him over. Or the fullback's got to get there. Right. The, the durability question is going to be an issue for me, for Trey. And it, it's not a knock against Trey, Trey Sermon. I've been a Trey Sermon fan since day one, and I wish him nothing but the best. I hope I hope he leads the nation – well, I hope he leads the Big Ten. I hope he's second in the nation to <laughs> Kennedy Brooks uh, in rushing. I, I wish him the best. I really do. But I do have concerns because he's never been the guy, and he's never done power offense. Mm-hmm. And he has – been injured throughout his career, and so that there's where the concern would be. I think this is a good note for us to end it on because you and I are going to agree. We are wishing the best for Trey Sermon. It's not as though he leaves the Oklahoma Sooners 
on bad terms. It's not as though he leaves them with a, de a depleted backfield. Trey Sermon is ultimately looking at what's best for me and what's best for the goal that I'm reaching for. How can I get there the, the quickest? We do have to, <laughs> to recognize that these are just kids building an individual brand. And wherever they feel as though they can build that individual brand, that's where they're going to go. And that doesn't mean they're going to stay at a university within a program for the entire four years. We've seen that. We've seen that revolutionized with the transfer portal being introduced. All of a sudden, it's like the recruiting gates opened up once again on players who had already signed and already had, had a proven track record. Again, no ill will. We're wishing the best for Trey Sermon. And, and maybe one day we'll look back and he'll, he'll be in the NFL as one of the better running backs that came through the University of Oklahoma. He's a Rodney Anderson guy. I mean, he's got a lot of trout in the tires and he's got injuries. So, yeah, I, I, I wish him the best. But now I've got two questions that we've got to address about Trey Sermon. Two specific questions about the running back core. Okay, so the news of Trey Sermon transferring out leads me to two immediate questions. And one question we're not going to find the answer to, but I do want your opinion on the, on the second question. The first question that we don't know the answer to as of yet, but I want to know even more pressing is how long is Ramondre Stevenson going to be suspended? How long is that? Is that suspension still going to be five games? Because we don't know. We don't have an answer yet on how long those suspensions are, but not having Ramon J. Stevenson available becomes a greater issue now that Trey Sermon's not available. Second question is, and this is more of a pressing question that unfortunately we don't have spring football to look at to get some sort of opinion over, but out of TJ Pledger, Marcus Major, and then the freshman Seth McGowan, one of those three, and really two of those three, kind of have to rise to the top. Oklahoma's running back depth goes about seven deep now. But of those seven deep, you got Ramondre Stevenson, who's going to miss maybe up to five games. you got Candy Brooks, who's clearly RB number one. And then you got three guys, the guys I just mentioned, the true freshman, Seth McGowan, who's on campus right now, TJ Pledger, who's going to be a junior, and then Marcus Major, who's going to be a redshirt uh, freshman. One of those guys has to arrive, has to elevate to being a, a RB1 type status. And then another one of those guys has to elevate to be that relief change of pace back that we're used to seeing. Two of those three. So my question for you, Rich, is I'm going to put you on the spot. And I'm going to have you tell me of those three, who is it going to be? And do you think it's somebody else that I didn't mention? I don't, I don't think it's anyone that you have yet to mention. If I were to rank the running backs, to put them in some kind of an order, without seeing anything from the spring, even the initial workouts that weren't canceled, the practices that weren't canceled behind Kennedy Brooks, I really want to put TJ Pledger, but I can't, based upon how the season went. And what we saw was a little more of Marcus Major, which tells me that even though he's the young, younger of the three names I've mentioned so far, he's one of the more talented, one of the more ready to step on the field. I, I think he could be a second option behind Kennedy Brooks, which leaves me with TJ Pledger as that 
that change of pace. Now, I know TJ Pledger, his role has largely been relegated to special teams up to this point of his career. Could that change? By all means. But the way that things shake out from what we've seen and what we know, that's how I, I've got them listed with McGowan potentially taking a red shirt. Yeah. So here's by the time Oklahoma rolls into like that critical stretch of November, well, you're either going to compete for a seventh Big 12 championship or not. Uh, is it seven or six? How many do they win in a row now? Five or six? It's at least five. Okay, so let's 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 go back in time. Baker, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Wait, was it 13? I'm lost now. I'm ashamed of myself for not knowing that. But if you're going to go get in line for that, continue that streak while you're Googling it up. Uh, while you're continuing that streak. I just can't remember. Was Baker's first year 13 or 14? I think it was 14. Okay, so 14, 15, 16. 17, 18. So this was six. I was right. Seventh consecutive Big 12 championship. I doubted myself, and I should have never done that. Anyway, by the time you hit November, here's where I think this running back core is going to shake out to. I think Kennedy Brooks is going to be number one. I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to be number two. And I'm with you. I, I think what we're going to see at the number three is Marcus Major. I do. Wait, you, you're still putting Ramondre Stevenson when in. he comes back. Wait, okay, okay. I, and, then, and I, I, I didn't have him there. If you no, didn't no, no. I, I was, I was, uh, and I, and I intentionally asked you to leave him out because I want to know of those three. I do think Seth McGowan is going to see his four game limit. Yeah, six in a row. So they're going for seven. That's, they're going, they're going for number six. So oh, we've, we've got Baylor TCU as 2014. They split it the year that, that makes me sad. one, 15, 16, 17, one 18, true 19. champion. Man. Remember that? Remember yeah, that? yeah. I don't even want to rehash Oklahoma, that. 2015, 16, 17, 18, and now 19. People are screaming at us right now while they're listening to this podcast because I didn't know that off the top of my head. And I just want to apologize for not being that guy. Okay, so um, point is, I think we're going to see McGowan. And, and and he could turn out to be uh, – to me, the only way McGowan really gets a bulk of the, the carries and doesn't redshirt is if more injuries occur or if he's like an Adrian Peterson, DeMarco Murray kind of guy. Now, I think McGowan is extremely talented. I don't know I'd put him with an Adrian Peterson comparison, but you know who, who did have an Adrian Peterson comparison? Marcus Major. And we never – because of injuries, we never really got to see – as a true freshman, what he could do, but I do think we see him and we see him exponentially this coming fall. Now, spring practice canceled. I'm sticking to my guns. I think there will be spring workouts at some point for the University of Oklahoma. The NCAA made it right with spring athletes. You know, all the all the baseball players, all the softball players, they get a redo. Um, but I, I also think that there that this. We do have kind of a little bit of a, a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, in that we know that right now the recruiting hiatus is until April 15th. After April, unless it changes, which it could change, but as of right now, this dead period with recruiting ends on April 15th. The spring game was supposed to be April 18th, and that's when all these guys are supposed to come in to be a big push. We know at this point that has been postponed. The university has not officially said that the spring game is canceled. They've just said it's not going to happen on the 18th of April. I don't know whether the spring game itself will happen. But what I do know is that Oklahoma is going to find a way, the NCAA is going to allow this to happen, where these kids get to have their spring workouts. 
and it may be it may be just like uh, where it's totally off limits to uh, to people uh, the public to come and see it. It may be where it's a, a you know it's it's two thirds of what you normally get, but I do think it's going to happen. And in that time, we're some of these things that we're talking about with the running backs and so forth. We'll get more information about that. But the thing is, is recruiting. Recruiting takes a big step backwards. This is right now usually a critical time for recruiting because you're wanting to get kids on your campus. You're wanting to get kids to come. And, and we're seeing Oklahoma have a bevy of success. We're seeing announcements of people coming, making official visits in June, right? Well, we want those. We want all those kids to be at the spring game for Baker Mayfield's unveiling, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, this is having an effect on Oklahoma. But what we talked about last week is Oklahoma's really in a good spot because, you know, Samar Wheaton, the running back, the last big, big time place he went to, he went to Oklahoma and then he went to Texas. So those are the last kind of, you know, m- moments of his recruiting before it got put on pause. Caleb Williams, his last stop was the University of Oklahoma. Um, so Oklahoma, if there was going to be a pause, Oklahoma was in a good spot for the pause. But now you got to prepare yourself for after that, when once once it all goes back, you know, goes back in to full swing, I think you got to have some sort of event, some sort of activity. Maybe not a spring game, but you got to. And I, I, I think that's why they were so quick to announce the postponement, but not the cancellation of the spring game. Because if this dead period ends April fifteenth, you need more than three days to plan something like this. Right. What I'm looking at currently is I'm, I'm buying into what what Oklahoma is selling we've mentioned the tactic or really when they sat down and planned this out the things that Oklahoma wanted to hit on were this idea of exclusivity they're wanting to get you on campus to experience that the trophies the number of championships the pedigree the history all of that comes into fold here and oklahoma hasn't slowed down per se in terms of recruiting i like what you've mentioned in saying that some of the biggest name recruits for the 2021 class visited oklahoma right before the sporting world shut down and a large portion of businesses etc because of the coronavirus but Oklahoma already, from what I can count, what I can see, already has four names scheduled for official visits on what day? April 17th. That bodes well for what Oklahoma is doing. Like I said, I'm buying what they're selling, and it's because they're selling this idea of exclusivity that you have to have this OU DNA. And who doesn't want to earn that label, whether you choose Oklahoma or not. I wa- it's why I think that as soon as this ban on recruiting is lifted, we're going to have this exponential uptick, a spike in recruiting specifically in Norman. Yeah, and you know, Caleb Williams rem- remains Oklahoma's top target for the 2021 class and if you look at like uh, 24/7 Sports Rivals, they do their crystal ball type predictions and and Caleb Williams is is Oklahoma, I guess is gaining a lot of traction with Caleb Williams, 24 seven sports. It used to be 50 50 between Oklahoma and LSU 24 seven now has that 79% Oklahoma. And that three day visit had a lot to do with that. Samar Wheaton. Oh, I'm sure I'm just going to interject this 
real quick because we know you've mentioned the three-day weekend. It wasn't just Caleb Williams that the University of Oklahoma, more specifically Lincoln Riley and his staff, were trying to court. It was Caleb Williams' family. Right, and we talked about that. And now that people are self-quarantining themselves, what are they talking about? What, what are these recruits talking about? They're talking about their experience, and all of a sudden, a family member can come in and say, me too, put their stamp of approval on that because they were, were there. That's got to carry a lot of weight. I would imagine the conversations that have been had, not just with the family, but Caleb Williams to these recruiting mm. experts, has led them to begin to shift that number, their percentages, the odds, however you'd like to label them, significantly higher, as you've mentioned, in Oklahoma's favor. And I will say it's interesting that uh, the, one of the top JUCO cornerbacks in the country, uh, Dewan Warren, has set an extended uh, visit as well, June 12th through the 14th. I think we're going to see this trend in, in, in increase. I, I was about to ask you, is this going to become the norm? Well, not, I think, not just in Norman. Is this yeah. going to become the norm extended stays? Well, I just think it's it's something that that hap- I mean, yeah, I, I think for particular guys, not not for the, everybody, the but for particular. Yeah, well, Warren's position. not a five star, but right. he's he's a three star. But he's one of the top JUCO guys. Mm-hmm. He's a plug and play guy. I'm saying on the high school level, these five star recruits. I think that becomes not next year, not this year. Maybe in five years, three to five years, that would become commonplace. Mm-hmm. How do I fit in? What's life on campus like, etc.? Yeah, and then another guy, Samar Wheaton, is the guy we talked about who was on campus just for one day, and it was right after, it was on the heels of Caleb Williams visiting. And and again, he's he's uh, Oklahoma's getting traction with him, where it was kind of a, an even kill between him and Texas. Now they're saying it's an even kill between him and the field. Okay. So you went from competing was just solely with Texas and solely with LSU to competing just you're on, on par 50% against the field, which is good for you. I mean, you're getting traction and unlike what we assume with Trey Sermon, Wheaton had a really good visit with DeMarco Murray and seems to be in tune with what DeMarco Murray, who he was as a player, who he is as a coach, and what his philosophy is with putting guys on the field. And that's one thing we said was a positive about DeMarco Murray returning to the University of Oklahoma, more specifically returning into the vicinity of Dallas, where DeMarco Murray cemented himself as the best running back in the NFL for a season, if not longer. When we look at the name, when we look at the recognition that DeMarco Murray carries, the weight isn't isn't heavier anywhere else in the world than it is in Dallas and in I, I know Samar Wheaton. I, I don't know him personally. Let me rephrase that. I know he's from Texas. I don't know where he's at relative-wise to Dallas, but he's still that that name, that recognition. We're beginning to see that pay off. We're beginning to see the recruiting efforts pay dividends just because not only what DeMarco Murray brings to the table as a recruiter, but what he brings because of what he did on the field at the highest level. Yeah, Wheaton uh, from Garland, Texas. Uh, so yeah, for sure, under making that connection with Demarco Murray um, as the uh, former uh, Dallas Cowboy running back. Okay, two other names I, I want to throw out here while we're talking about recruiting. Somebody I wish Oklahoma would get in heavier on is Trevion Henderson. And Trevion Henderson is a five-star running back, just like Wheaton, who likes Oklahoma and was supposed to be in Norman for the spring game, but with that being uh, postponed 
it means Henderson is postponed with his visit. He's pretty high on Ohio State. He also likes Clemson, but he's talked about Oklahoma, and I think Oklahoma would have a chance to influence him should he be able to make a campus visit. I think there will be a campus visit there. I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing a postponement and not a cancellation as they're trying to figure something out once this dead period ends on the 15th for guys like Travion Henderson. One more guy, Kendall Daniels from Beggs, Oklahoma. He's a four-star guy on the defensive side of the ball, 6'4", 190 at the safety position. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's in good shape with this kid. He's almost a lock at this point based on what everybody's saying to end up at the University of Oklahoma, and that's good news for Alex Grinch. The only thing that I need to do at this point is correct my numbers. Um, I I realize that the spring game has been postponed. I realize that that announcement has been made. I just sat here and said they had four visitors set for the weekend after the 15th. That most likely coincided because of the spring game. So let me just retract that number of four and say, I don't know. I was using the information that is available on 247 Sports that has a timeline of events. Those haven't changed. I took them as fact. I don't think that's the case anymore. My apologies for misleading. Okay, so uh, that's fine. Uh, here we go. Um, next topic, we're, we're, we're going to talk about NBA playoffs. We're going to do our Mount Rushmore of Oklahoma basketball. Uh, but a, a fun topic. Real fast, coronavirus pandemonium, and there's all this talk. You know, there, you know, California's done it, New York's done it, where you're on lockdown, you know, shelter in place. So you got to go into the coronavirus bunker, so to speak. In doing that, you can take three previous Oklahoma games. It can be football, it can be basketball, it could be wrestling, it could be baseball, it could be soccer, it could be softball. But you can take three. What three games are you taking with you into the bunker? You want me to give you all three? No, we'll, we'll rotate. In no particular order, then let me no, start. No, yeah, yeah, sorry. In, yeah, in yeah. no particular no, order. Yeah, no particular order, but start with your... Well, I guess in no particular order, we're not, we're not going to do a, a Okay, number. we'll do particular order. No, no, okay. Particular order. <laughs> number that's what I, that's number what. three for me. I'm going to start from least to, to favorite, okay? Number three for me. These, again, my theme here has been to stick with games that are, are recent. Mm-hmm. I have a history with the Oklahoma Sooners that means I didn't start as an Oklahoma Sooners fan growing up. Um, I won't tell you who I was a fan of because it will make people upset. I attended the University of Oklahoma. Do they wear orange? Um, part of it was orange, but it was not their main color. Let's put it that way, okay? It wasn't Tennessee. I know that's who you're thinking. <laughs> now, I'll just tell you, I grew up because my family um, was Florida Gators fans. I also jumped on board with that. I was born in the in the panhandle of Florida. My dad still lives there. It's the reason that they're, they're Florida Gators Fans, needless to say, um, when I look at the games, to stick with my theme, they are going to be more recent games. In a roundabout way of getting to it, number three for me, I've picked Oklahoma versus Alabama in 2014, the bowl game where Trevor Knight played the game of his life. How fun was it for us as Big 12 fans 
listening to Bob Stoops talk smack about the SEC and their defenses versus these Big 12 offenses, talking smack and going out and having the ability to back it up absolutely made my day. I could watch that one time and time again because of the memory that supplanted there. Okay. Um, Shouldn't be supplanted, just planted there. Great memory and that's one of those games for Oklahoma fans that you're going to remember where you watched that game you know what I'm saying I, I remember where I was I can tell you who was with me watching that game because it, it's it's a it's a great memory a great night for Oklahoma fans I'm going to go with my number three away from the sport of football and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I said if you could take one game but I'm taking two games for my number three because we're talking softball and it's the 2017 National Championship Series over the Florida Gators. You'll remember, because we were there covering that, but you'll remember the overtime, the extra innings game that seemed to last forever. Florida was the was the odds-on favorite to win the title. And Oklahoma, not only did they beat Florida in that championship series, but they beat the Gators two games to nothing, taking the sweep to win Patty Gasso's fourth national championship, second in a row. So that's my number three. That's who I'm taking in the bunker with me, and I get two games out of that. Plus, when you look at the uh, at the overtime game, I really get about three games out of that. All right, number two for me is going to be something that took place before you were even born, young Rich DeCray. I'm going to take with me the 1985 season Orange Bowl between the University of Oklahoma and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Barry Switzer, Joe Paterno. It was uh, the game that was not supposed to go the way it did. Everyone gave Penn State the odds on favor of winning that game. In fact, the Nittany Lions scored first. And when they scored first, I, I'm pretty sure it was the opening possession of the game. Penn State scores the goes up 7 nothing. And then from that point forward, it was all Jamel Holloway, Keith Jackson, and the Oklahoma's defense that was just relentless against Joe Paterno and Penn State. I'm going to take that game as my number two. I, man, I, I thought about Listen, other I, sports. I, I, am going to, I am going to throw this out there for guys like you. If you go into your bunker, find some of these older games. Like I'm talking about the 85 Orange Bowl. That was a fun game. And you have the advantage. Of course, you now know that Oklahoma wins. But you have the advantage of not having Spoiler memories. Alert. Yeah, but you, you don't have the memories of what happened. That would make that game so much more fun to watch. But go ahead. I, I wasn't thinking initially of including other sports. I did earlier in the day, and then I blanked on it, and I scrambled and picked all football games. I am going to change it. I'm going to steal one of your tactics here for number one, but get, let me give you my number two first, and that was undoubtedly 2015 Oklahoma Travels to the one the only Tennessee, Matt, a game that you desperately wish you had a ticket top. Rocket to, top for Tennessee. that reason right there. For that reason right there. One of the games that I thought was going to be an utter and complete disappointment for Oklahoma, as Oklahoma found themselves trailing pretty significantly heading into the fourth quarter there. We know the late game heroics that took place. We know that that game eventually goes into overtime, and we know what happens. That's right. Oklahoma wins that game, and there's nothing better than college football overtime 
in the world of sports, in my opinion. Sterling Shepard, baby. Sterling Shepard is the that, when you think of the, about that game, there were so many great <laughs> players on that 2015 team. Sterling Shepard, man, he's the guy right, right. that you know that that sideline tightrope dance yep. on one foot. That's right. And that, and the photo that came from it. No, oh, yeah. That moment yeah. captured in time, basically supermaning over a defender. All right, give me your number one. Oh, I gotta do that now. I'm, gi- We're I'm alternating. giving you two. I'm giving We're you two. alternating. I know, but I figured we could we could, we could at least build build up some tension there before I gave you my number my number one. But you've already given your number two. My bad. Number one for me, um, one of the best games that I've ever witnessed, not live and in person, but live through the television, was on the basketball court. It's when Oklahoma, Kansas, Buddy in Hield. 2016 traveled up to Lawrence, Kansas. Buddy Yield, one of the best defensive teams. But oh, you lost that game. Recently, they did. Still one of the best. You can't games. take a game in your bunker or oh, you lose it. Still one of the best games. Take the Buddy Hill of take, all. Take now, the, now this is wait, one of the best. Wait, wait, I'm stealing. I'm stealing this from your vault, and I'm going to replace it okay. with the tip in the Buddy Hill tip in in Norman to beat Kansas. Go for it, then. I'm just saying. I'm. You you tell all the reasons why you want this game, but I'm gonna tell you I'm stealing it and I'm replacing okay. it okay. with the Buddy Hill tip in. Hey, all I'm saying is. The 46 points from Buddy Hill, the triple overtime, that'll go down as one of the yeah. greatest college You're basketball right. games of all time, regardless of what those players become, regardless of where they end their careers, that will go down as one of the greatest college basketball games of all time. Not just in Oklahoma Sooner or Kansas, let me rephrase that, in Kansas Jayhawk history. So I, I was putting a little asterisk by that one as a game that I would take into the bunker but my my real number one here was uh, 2008 Oklahoma versus Texas Tech. We knew the implications of that game. We knew it was on the line. Oklahoma number five, Texas Tech number two. Big big shocker, I guess. Right, 63 points was it? Jump around. Was it 25? Jump around. I can't even remember the final score, but I know Oklahoma had 63. Jump around happened. Banners were being flown over games. It was absolute chaos with one of the best offenses in the country led by Sam Bradford. When I when I rank my top games uh, that I've attended in person, um, that 2008 Texas Tech game is – it's probably number two. I think the – for me, the top game for, for me was the um, Brennan Clay year, Bedlam. Yeah. Where Brennan Clay runs, you know, don't stop believing. Yeah. Uh, Bell Dozer, you know, Blake Bell gets him down, ties the game. Then Brennan Clay just trucks the, the Oklahoma state safety and goes in the end zone for mm. the overtime game over the, uh, the, the big mob. I was in the North end zone when that happened. And that's, you know, all, all the, uh, sorry, I was in the South end zone when that happened. And th- that's where everyone just kind of mobbed Brennan Clay. I mean, I remember, um, I just remember that, that that mob and 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 everything going on and on um, the coaches that were involved in that and uh, that was to me here's the thing I I was I was you know no one left especially in that south end zone no one left their seats and then like people were talking about even after the player the players cleared the field. And then they came back out right. when you talked about don't stop believing. Yeah, I, I was there yeah. myself. And so um, I don't know that I sat with you, and, but I was there. No, you didn't sit with me because I can tell you who I was with. But anyway, um, after that was over with, and then they left the field a second time, people stayed. And mm-hmm. they were just like, man, that was an incredible game, you know? Right. But 
Um, I, I, I can be honest with you. I'm going to throw this out to you. I'm a little bit disappointed that you get three choices. And like me, you snuck an extra in there. Not a single one of them was a championship. No. Matt, they, when we look at Oklahoma history across the sports, whether it's softball, baseball, basketball, football, whatever that might be, there are a lot of great games I agree. to choose from. Nebraska and Oklahoma, one of those games hasn't even 2000. been mentioned. 2000 Nebraska-Oklahoma ha- game. Hasn't even been mentioned yet. Is that your number one? No. You haven't given us your number one. No, but, I haven't. But, but I'm I saying you look at the stories of the programs that Oklahoma has faced. We didn't mention the run that was called Red October. That None of those 2000. games made it. Right. None of those games have made it. But here we are going into our bunkers, descending into a cavern to watch a game, and those ones aren't on there. Well, uh, my number one is going to be the – Orange Bowl that followed the 2000 season. Oklahoma, Florida State. Again, Sooners heavy underdogs. Was it really that good of a game? It was an amazing game. Or because was it boring because it was all defense? No, that's what made it great because it was Chris Winkie who had won the Heisman Trophy mm-hmm. against Bob Stoops' new defense. People were talking – Oklahoma was undefeated, but yet they were an underdog going into that game. And I remember, I remember Bobby Bowden even saying before the game, they're talking about Oklahoma being undefeated. And he was like, well, they're undefeated right now. They haven't done an undefeated season yet, and, and there's so many stories about that game. It's reached the point where I don't know if it's real or urban legend, but there's the story of Denzel Washington being in the end zone, and when the Florida State Seminoles came out, a lot of them recognized Denzel Washington. A lot of them went over to Denzel to talk to him and so forth, and then when Oklahoma came out of the tunnel, not a single player recognized Denzel Washington, and Denzel says, Florida State didn't have a chance in this game. And again, I don't know if that's urban legend or if that really happened. But what I do know is the greatest halftime interview I've ever seen in my life <laughs> took place in this game where Florida State shut out in the first half. Torrance Marshall was in Chris Winkie's head from the coin toss. And then Florida State's offense does nothing, does squat in the first half. And they go into the locker room and they interview Bobby Bowden and they're like, Coach Bowden, what do you have to do? What has to take place to get your offense going against this Sooner defense? And his answer was, I don't know. And at that point, when you hear Bobby Bowden say those words, you know the national championship is coming. You know it's going to happen. That's my number one. That's the one that goes in the bunker with me. Hey, we got to talk NBA playoff possibilities. You know, I'm I'm really struggling to shake the disappointment that you don't have a championship game do, in your do you bunker. Want me to put one, no, I'll, no, I'll no, put one in there no. Me. Because I've already stolen your your. Well, kit. because I I would easily go softball with a Shade Knighton as a freshman, just that freshman group as a whole. Anywho, all right, whatever. Um, I've already stolen one of yours and replaced it with the Buddy Hill tip in. Okay, so let's the talk extra innings. Let's talk in. <laughs> let's talk NBA for just a minute. Um. I'm not giving up. Now, I will say I'm not as confident as I was a week ago that we will see an NBA playoff, but I've not given up on the belief that we're going to see an NBA playoff. I think there's too much to lose here. I think there's we're talking money, but I think we're also talking about culture. We're talking about our way of life, and we have time. I, we have time for this thing to pass and kind of get on the downhill side of this bubble, so to speak. 
So I think there's options out there. To me, the best option is, is if everybody in the NBA gets to say goodbye. So you have a couple of warm-up games that leads you into the playoffs. So all the teams get to play one or two games to close out the season. It gives you that opportunity as a player to get your body back in game preparation because there is a legitimate fear. These guys sitting around, they're self-quarantined. They're not able to work out with their team. By virtue of their own admission through Twitter, they're playing a lot of video games. So you've got to be ready to get back and face the physicality of the NBA playoffs to protect your body. And I think that goes for older players like, like say, LeBron James. You know, some of those guys that have been in this league for a long time, to shut your body down, to not I, they're, they're working out. They're, they're doing – you don't get to be that fine-tuned of an athlete with, by just sitting on the couch eating potato chips and playing video games. But a private workout in your home and the rigor of the physicality of the NBA playoffs, two different things. So I think you get some warm-up games – and then you get into the playoffs. Now, that's one option. Another option is that you see a, a reduced number of playoff games. You go back to old school. A lot of people don't remember this, but it used to be that first round of the NBA playoffs was not best of seven. It was best of five. And so you go back to that format where that first round of the playoffs kind of allows you to get into game shape, but you're playing a best of five series. Was that really that long ago? It's a long enough ago where I've talked to people like that really happened. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is, and I couldn't tell you when it changed. I've, I've been a bigger NBA fan of professional sports than any sport. And I remember the five game Mm -hmm. series. I don't know when they quit. So, so that's an option. You, for the first round, you go back to best of five. You're going to look that up on Google, aren't you? Of course. And then, and then I think the worst case scenario, and this would really suck for Oklahoma City fans, but I think the worst case scenario is that you just take the top four from each each conference, top four in the West, top four in the East, and you do you know the semifinals, you know you, you do the quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the championship, the final series, which, and I'm gonna lay, I'm gonna allow you to include no playoffs at all, but a, a normal couple warm-up games normal playoffs reduced first round playoffs or top four seeds in each conference playoffs which one of those do you think or do you see as being the more realistic i think reduced first not first round but reduced round playoffs reducing that back to the five games and the real reason is is because they need to shorten up the playoffs as much as they can, but I don't think they want to lose any revenue from the cities who could potentially compete in that by, by trimming that number from eight to say four, even from each conference. I just don't see that happening. That's why I say knowing it will be shortened or knowing that it must be shortened, depending on really what happens with the Olympics here, knowing that it must be shortened. I believe the five game is the best solution and playing the finals as a seven game. One, it puts urgency to win those games. It also puts more value on each win because you don't have to win as many. Mm. I did look it up. The switch was made in 2003, just in case you were curious. LeBron James was also drafted into the NBA that year. So again, just in case you were curious, that's the time everything changed. Okay, so uh, I I agree with you. I I think we're more because because I think it 
And here's the reason why. I think we see a, a best of five first round because I do think that they want to allow for people to have the opportunity, again, to say goodbye. You know, you know, if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you're you're teetering. You may be in, you may be out. Portland Trailblazers may be in, may be out. The New York Knicks, definitely out. So how do these guys get to have closure on their season? Because a lot of those guys took the court not knowing that was going to be their final game of the season. Oklahoma City and Utah didn't even get to take the court that night. So I think, obviously, unless they do the top four seeds, Oklahoma City and Utah are in the playoffs. But there's a ton of teams out there that are not in the playoffs that, that I think the fans need some sort of closure. And I think to an extent the players need some sort of closure. And I feel like the best way to do that, you're taking a month off. You're going to be minimum of 30 days of no playing. So let them have some time. Say goodbye to their fans. Oklahoma City, Utah, that 4-5 seed, really, really close. Let that play out a little bit. And then you do best of five in the first round. I do think that is the best way. And and I think that's probably the most probable solution. And, and then I, I, I'm in favor of not even doing the five game series just for the first round but letting the conference championships and the in the championship be decided by the seven and the so rest you're saying the first round five. quarterfinals Correct. best of five and Correct. then conference finals and because NBA the, finals. i mean okay. you, you've got to look statistically there were there were in the first round alone there were five game sevens which means mm-hmm. of the eight the eight series that were played how how far did that extend the playoffs Quite a bit, quite significantly. And those weren't the only seven game series that were played in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. I think you absolutely have to look at trimming that down. And it's because of the statistics, because of the length of the playoffs last year that you look at moving more than just the first round of five five games. Yeah, I mean, well, and we'll see. Um, hopefully that's something we can uh, address again next week. And it's, we have a, a little bit more of a clear picture. Okay. Final thing we're going to do here before we close out the podcast. Uh, Last week we did our Mount Rushmore. I mean, there's no live sports to talk about. uh, So let's talk about this. We did our Mount Rushmore of Oklahoma football last week. So this week we're going to do our Mount Rushmore of Oklahoma basketball. Top four guys. Four guys. uh, And when when you look at, it could be a guy that you watched in person. It could be a guy that you heard your dad talk about. It could be a guy that you went back and learned about. But top four guys on your Mount Rushmore, um, you go first, sir. Number one. Tommy Mason Griffin. No way. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way Man, that's I just, real. I just had to throw out that one. You're right. It's Tiny Gallon. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, I do remember against Gonzaga, Tiny Gallon breaking the backboard. Very memorable moment. None of these, neither of those two names actually make the Mount Rushmore for Oklahoma basketball, for me, I think when you look at just beginning a Mount Rushmore, there's no more prominent name. And it's because we mentioned them last time out, Matt, that I'm starting with this one. It's it's Wayman Tisdale. I said that Wayman Tisdale was the face of Oklahoma basketball. And he, he will continue to carry that mm-hmm. probably for the foreseeable future. I don't see anyone taking that place. So, again, 
the building block, the, the one constant, the name that I think you will find across the board for 99% of people is Wayman Tisdale, undoubtedly. Pride of Fort Worth, Texas, Wayman Tisdale, he's on mine. I mean, you, I don't think you can have a Mount Rushmore and not have Wayman Tisdale. So I'm going to give him as one of my top four as well. And then the other guy I'm going to – and that, I'm proud of you for having Wayman Tisdale because he played in the early 80s, like 82 to 85. Um so my guy also goes back even another decade before that is Alvin Adams. Uh, when you talk about the staple of Oklahoma football, Alvin Adams is the guy, in my opinion, who put Oklahoma, I said football, but basketball, who put Oklahoma basketball on the map. He, he you know, the, he basically built the Lloyd Noble, Noble Center based off of who he was, was a top four pick in the NBA draft. Phoenix Suns took him, uh, I believe it was a 75 draft that he was taken by the Phoenix Suns. So we are going back in time. But again, you got nothing to do, okay? There's no live sports. Go to YouTube. If you've never watched Alvin Adams, power forward, by the way, from Lawrence, Kansas, go watch this guy play some basketball and uh, you'll see, hey, that they, they had some pretty good basketball in the 70s, and that's because of guys like Alvin Adams. So I've got two on the board. Give me your second guy. The second guy that I've got, and I'm going, going forwards instead of backwards like you are doing. I'm looking at a guy who played four years at the University of Oklahoma, but also brought Oklahoma into the Final Four. It's Hollis Price. Now, I know there were a lot of comparisons what are you what are you looking at me oddly for there are a lot of comparisons to this season to hollis price senior season at the university of oklahoma because texas subsequently played played the spoiler role on senior night that same year i don't think we're, we're not even really discussing this but this oklahoma team wasn't going to make a deep run like that in the ncaa tournament no matter how much we wished they would but that was what people began to bring up after this senior night, this past past season. All right, so Hollis Price, one of my all-time favorites. I mean, it just that's maybe why I made that look. I I, I loved watching Hollis Price play. So I, you've got Alvin Adams. No, uh, I know. Oh, no, I've got Alvin Wait, Adams and Wayman Tisdale. Hollis you, Price. You, all right, so I'm gonna my my third guy is again a, a guy that you have to have on there. You can't have the Mount Rushmore without this guy, and that's that's Blake Griffin. I mean, by the way, he just turned 30 years old last week. Uh, Blake Griffin, everybody knows his story. Um, everybody knows how, you know, one of the top most coveted guys in the country. Uh, everybody remembers him uh, hanging on the rim and pointing at Willie Warren, who had, I think it was Willie Warren, who had thrown him the, the oop uh, in that game. So my number three, Blake Griffin, one of the, not, not just one of the best Oklahoma players, but one of the best NBA players as well. Yeah, for sure. Which I'm just going to piggyback you for my second one. Then as we slowly work forward, if you haven't picked up on my trend yet, <laughs> I hope this one solidifies that for you. I don't know why I just giggled into the microphone, but it is Blake Griffin, and it's for a little bit of a different reason than what you've stated. We knew that during the Blake Griffin years, the Oklahoma Sooners did not have a strength training coach on campus. What that meant was someone really needed to pick up that role and begin to carry that banner for this basketball program. It just so happened to be the Griffin brothers who carried that totem each and every week. You see what kind of talent it produced from Blake Griffin, really, I guess, setting the tone for everybody else, not only on the court, but also in practices 
and in the weight room. So I commend him for really shouldering a lot of the burden that was there during his, his short two years. So you want me to go number one? I'll go number one. Because right, I think we're going to have to say number one. We probably are. For me, we've mentioned him once on the podcast tonight. Okay, well, I've mentioned him once on the podcast. It is Buddy Heald. It's another four-year player at the University of Oklahoma, a guy who subsequently led the university back to the Final Four. Very, very memorable moments, but we also got to see the development. Matt, you and I firsthand attending practices from being kind of a raw athlete, but you knew the talent was there. It was about pulling that out. All of a sudden, he becomes one of the better shooters, if not the best shooter in the Big 12 and very competitive for that title on a national scale. What he did and putting Oklahoma back on the map, I'll never forget that. So on this day, four years ago, well, this day that we're recording, uh, March um, um, March 20th of 2016, uh, Buddy Hill advanced to the Sweet 16 with a win over VCU uh, in an epic game played in Oklahoma City uh, that I had the honor and the pleasure at being at. Hey, do you know uh, do you know his real first name? You know, Buddy's not his real name. I, I do know that, but I don't know his first name. Okay. Uh, do you want me to tell you? You want to look it up and get back to me later? No, go for it. His first Are name is. Are you afraid you're going to mispronounce it? I don't think so. It's it's C H A V A N O. Shivano is how I would say that. Uh, but anyway, that's that's Buddy's real first name, and and he's my number one as well. And and you know, you look through the the. There's been some great guys. I mean, we we Eduardo Nahara, Mookie Blaylock. I mean, there there's so many guys out there that we slide when you can only pick four. But I mean, that's I think really the only difference we had was I had Alvin Adams, mm-hmm. and you had I forget I forgot who you you already forgot. We huh? both had I Blake had Hollis Price. Hollis Price, that's who it was. Hollis Price. Mister, he's my favorite player. He is. Um, you know, but again, uh, guys like Mookie Blaylock, guys like uh, oh, do you remember Romero Osby even? You mm-hmm. know, there's been some really good talent that's gone through here hey listen everybody stay safe um we understand that it's it's a crisis situation and uh and we want to you know just say um stay safe stay home enjoy your time with the family take your normal precautions wash your hands if you find hand sanitizer use it up um and enjoy your family time boomer sooner everybody